0: All right. Hey, so, okay, before we get started, I going to tell you a quick story, quick story, quick story. And so, a few, not that long ago, a little, little while ago, uh, my wife and I decided that we finally are at a time in our life where we need coasters for a table. I don't know if there's anything else that quite defines adulthood like that, but when you finally start caring about the dining room table, I realized I became my father and my mother. Okay, so we realized that we needed some coasters. And uh, me being just handy enough to know that I should probably not do DIY projects, uh, I was like, we can make these. Like, we can make some, we can make some coasters, okay? We real marble, they're gonna be slick, they're gonna be so much cheaper than buying them. So I was on a mission to go get a couple pieces of tile, real marble, you know, they're gonna be super nice. So I go to a tile shop here in Algonquin, and I've never been there before, except for this time I walk in looking for four pieces of tile. Okay? Now, I don't know if you've been to the tile shop, but pretty much all they do is they have tile. It's kind of in the name. Okay? And so I go in, and we're looking around, and the worker comes up to me and says, Hey, can I help you? I'm like, yeah, I'm looking for hexagon tile, you know, about this big, just like four pieces, or just a couple pieces or whatever. He says, Oh, yeah, what are you What are you? What are you doing? What are you working on? What, what project are you doing? And I got so flustered by that question and just embarrassed about coming into this tile shop just asking for four pieces of tile. And I don't know why I said it. I said, uh, I don't know. Uh, we're, we're maybe we're going to remodel the kitchen or maybe the bathroom. And this guy sits there and just looks at me like, what kind of guy comes in the tile shop looking for the tile just to speak to him? to let him know what part of his house he should remodel. Like, he's just like, I, it's over there. So <laughs> he just let me go and let me go find it. You know, and that's a really stupid, really silly story about not a lot. But it does emphasize one thing, is that having a vision or having a purpose or having a destination matters. Having a vision matters, okay? And to go to old school, old Testament on you, uh, Proverbs says it this way. Proverbs twenty-nine, eighteen 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish, Right? And so last year, one more quick story, we had a, right around this time of year, the fall or whatever, having Thanksgiving or whatever, we had a holiday party, and so I really just wanted to go out for the certain people that were coming over, and so I said, we're going to get ribeye roast. I've never done a ribeye roast before, and if you don't know anything about it, it's just a big, it's a manly-sized chunk of meat, okay, and it's just a big chunk of meat, it's kind of expensive, and you roast it, right, and the thing is, you don't want to dry it out. And so the thing is, you get, a, you get a thermometer, and you put a probe in there and stuff, but before you do that, you need to set a baseline for your thermometer. You need a glass of ice water and make sure that it's set to freezing so that you know that the meat is going to be done right. Because if you're off a few degrees on your thermometer, you know that the meat's going to be wrong. Today, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be going into a vision series for Church on the Rock, and all that we're doing is creating a baseline for our church. Because if we're a few degrees off, you might look like me going to a tile shop asking, like, I don't know, I just maybe I'll remodel my kitchen today. I don't know, it's a Saturday, let's just do it, okay? So that's what we're doing today, is we're going into a vision series for the next couple of weeks. Amen? Amen? All right, let's do it. So before we get to it, I just want to go into vision just a little bit and talk to you about what vision is and kind of define it a little bit. Vision is different than sight. Vision is different than ambition. Vision, and I don't know, remember where I got this, but I stole it from somebody. It's a discovery of God's plan as it relates to your life or for us, the church. Vision is a discovery of God's plan as it relates to your life and our church. If you would, turn to Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, one day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire in the middle, from the middle of the bush. and Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. And the following conversation, after that happens, Moses receives vision from God. But here's the interesting thing: this was pointed out to me from a mentor years ago. Is that what caught my eye in this again? As I was thinking about this message, is that there's a very important line in this text, and it's the very last one in verse chapter three, or verse uh, yeah yeah verse three. I must go see it. The ESV says that I will turn aside. And I love if you pair that with the beginning of this, one day. This wasn't a special day. It wasn't an average. It was just an average day of work. Moses was going about his daily opportunities, daily tasks, daily functions of life. One day. One day. And then Moses turns aside. I don't think we really want all the flashiness. We really want all that clear signs. We really want all of these things like God coming down a lightning flash. But I think the vision comes one day, just a normal, average day. But are we going to turn aside? Are you going to take a second to go, oh, God's moving here. Am I going to take a second and go over and investigate? Am I going to take a second and go over there and investigate? Go over and spend time. Because vision is a discovery of God's will for us. It's a discovery process. I do think that God has a vision for every single person in this room. I think he has a vision for our church. I know he has a vision for our church. But it is a discovery process. And it happens one day. One day I was just hanging out. One day I was just going about normal life. I must go see this. A vision is discovered and given from God. And God is committed and patient to fulfill his will, so the vision remains. God is patient to fulfill his will, and so the vision remains. If you will turn to me, scoot over just a few verses into Joshua. So if you go over to the right about this much Bible, we're going to go to Joshua chapter 1. Four weeks ago, five weeks ago, I stood up here and I started our sermon with this in Deuteronomy: the people of Israel mourned the loss, or the people of Israel mourned for Moses on the plains of Moab for thirty days until the customary time of mourning was over. The last four weeks, we haven't been doing pushing a lot, doing a lot of crazy things. It's just time to breathe. Our church just went through a huge transition process of our founding pastor uh, transitioning out of twenty-one years. And so you see the same thing happening in scripture. Moses, this this founding leader of the Israelites who led them out of slavery into the wilderness, up to the line of the promised land, and Moses passes. And so Joshua, who's the next leader of the Israelites, he steps into place and he gives Israel time, a chance to grieve and to breathe and to face them. And then what happens? Joshua chapter 1. After the death of Moses, Lord, uh, the Lord's servant, the Moses. oh my goodness, let's start over. Erase that from the live stream. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I'm giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land I have given you. not a new vision, not rediscovered, not reworked, not reshaped. This vision was the same vision that we just read about all the way at the beginning of Exodus. One day, I must go see. And Moses goes before the Lord and God gives him a vision. You're going to go. Take the people to the promised land. Moses dies. But what remains? God's vision for his people. God is patient to see it happen. Habakkuk Chapter two, he says it this way. Verse three he says, "This vision is for a future time." As God's giving the vision to Habakkuk, he says, describes the end. It will be, it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for it surely will take place. It will not be delayed. Second Peter chapter three says it this way: "But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends: a day is like a thousand years, the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't uh, really being slow about His promise, as some people think. No." He's just being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. God's purpose, he has a purpose, and he's patient to see it fulfilled. COTR was planted, I firmly believe this, in prayerful vision that was discovered and given by God to plant this church. This is a new season for us, But the same planting vision, the same guiding vision that this church was birthed with, that was put in place, why Brian and the planting king came here from Wyoming in the first place, that is still the guiding vision of our church. And so today, again, we're taking a moment to breathe, get a baseline, find vision and what is the vision of our church. And so really quick, I just have a little mark. Can you guys put up that little blue mark? I think you guys probably know what this is. What is that? Location on a map, on a map right? It just shows you where you're going. And our vision statement, whether you know it or not, and it will come up on the screen here in a second, and we've been saying it the last couple of weeks and reemphasizing it, it's simple, it's this. Bring them in, raise them up, and send them out. Vision, and I want to say this really clearly because where you go, vision and mission, will often they could be switched you know, around and stuff. So for us, vision is the destination. Where Church on the Rock is going, what we're hoping to do, what we're purposing to do, why do we show up every Sunday? Why do we have fall fests and all these things going on? Why, why do we do this? Is to bring them in, raise them up, and to send them out. This has been the guiding culture. This has been the guiding sentence of our church since it started. And bring them in, and we'll just go through this just a little bit. And but the next four weeks, we're going to flesh this out, and why? How are we going about accomplishing this? But bring them in is really—it's—it's it's our culture, you know. Since I've been here, I've been here for oh, going on eight years, so seven years now. Um, the thing that I hear consistently, over and over and over and over again, from new people that come to our church is, "Wow, you guys are so welcoming." I sat down, didn't have anybody to talk to, and somebody just invited me and said, come sit with me. Wow, I was greeted five times by the time I actually got into my chair. Wow, actually, just actually give me a little space. I don't know who you are. Please don't talk to me. (laughs) We've always been in a welcoming and encouraging and open place for any person. We're welcome all, regardless. And, you know, this has been especially for hurting people. It seems like God's put a special anointing on our church for people that are hurting or broken, coming out of hardship and hard transitions, hard situations, that God brings us those people. And they find a safe place here at Church on the Rock. And not only hurting people, but hungry people. You know what caused me and Amy to stay here? We pulled up, we, we moved here, newlywed, moved to Hampshire, pulled out a map, said here's the four or five churches in 20 minutes area. We just started going through them and checking them off pulled into the parking lot of Church in the Rock, and I think we were here like the first or second week after they just paved all of the parking lot. So imagine our parking lot, but it was all gravel. So we came in right after that was done. We pulled in, and I said, Man, no, this ain't it. This isn't our church. This is way too big. And nothing against big churches. I was just in a season of coming out of a very small church plant. I love that tight knit community, knowing just every single person. I was like, We're looking for that feel again. And so I said, No, Amy, this isn't it. But then we sat down in service. And the worship started, and Amy felt the Holy Spirit, boom, first song. And she just felt connected right away. And then Brian got up and started speaking, and boom, I felt this Holy Spirit, openness to the move of the Holy Spirit but it was grounded in God's word. And coming out of that service, I said, oh, no, this is our church. And so it's always been a place for people that are hungry. Hungry for God's word, hungry for the more, hungry for the Holy Spirit. And so we've been a place that's brought people in from everywhere. We've always just been a regional church. It's hard to pinpoint our town because we have like 18 towns represented in our congregation. We bring them in. And then we don't just bring them in just to flush out our doors and flush out seats and stuff because we raise up. And so this idea is really that we're here as a, to point to and to help and to encourage your next step whatever that may be, whether that's healing, emotional, spiritual, or uh, physical, whatever that is, or maybe it's through training or classes or through serving. You are coming in, and there's a next level, your next step, because we're always growing. What's the next place for you? And so we bring in, we raise up, and then we send out. I don't really love this term, but we kind of identify been identified as the mothership. (laughs) They were just boo, 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 sending here, sending here, sending here. And it's really incalculable how many people have come through our doors, through our congregation, and then gone back out as full-time pastors, ministers, lay ministries, involved in their church, moving, growing, and just doing things. We've planted so many, sent so many missionaries. Just in our youth ministry and just doing it, I calculated really quick this morning. I think I had something like 10 or 12 different youth leaders that came through the youth program, that knew that they were supposed to be in full-time ministry. And over half of them, I think, are. And that's nothing because of me. God just brought those people in with a hunger and heart, and we had the opportunity to send them, give them opportunity and go. And beyond that, not just sending out for ministry, not just sending out for mission, but also sending you back to your community, sending you back to your husband, sending you back to your wife, sending you back to the brokenness, sending you back to your your work environment, to wherever you are as a vessel of love and hope. And so this is Church on the Rock's vision. This is what we're trying to do. It's not new. It's old. It was painted on the walls for many years. Bring them in, raise them up, and send them out. This is a place where people will come and find Jesus and find healing, find connection, find love, and find a welcome seat. And that's our vision. That's it. That's what we're trying to do, church. And then with vision, you have mission. And how I identify these things in my mind is vision is the, what's the mark? Destination. Let's try it again. Fail class. What vision is the? Destination, woo, okay, go ahead of class. And mission is the vehicle to get there. So that's the vision of we want to bring them in, raise them up, send them out. How are we going to do that? And that is mission. And our mission happens to be a church van. And our church van has four wheels, and you can say this is corny or not, but it helps me remember, and you will remember years from now, that that guy talked about mission and vision and church van, and there's four wheels and something about it, okay? So there's four parts for our mission. And guys, whenever you got those, you can slap those uh, slides up, unless you're too embarrassed to show them. I know it's bad. There's one. That's a wheel. And the first one is connecting, there it is, connecting to God, people, purpose, and hope. How are we going to reach the vision? Bring them in, raise them up, send them out. By connecting people to God, people, purpose, and hope. And this is what we're going to be talking about the next four weeks. And so I'm not going to labor over this very much, but just really quickly to go over it. Connecting people to God is what we have in a sense of spiritual practices. And we're going to flush that out for the rest of today's message, so I'm not going to go super deep into this. But it's you learning and owning your faith with God through practices. The very best and first thing that you can do as a member or congregant here at Church on the Rock is foster your relationship with God. Pastor Gary said it a few weeks ago. Out of private prayer comes public ministry. Out of private relationship comes the platform. If you rush the first before the other, you're going to fail. I'll fail. If you just go up for the ego, if you just go up because you want a microphone, if you just go up because you want to lead a ministry, you're not going to get very far. You're going to smell bad. you got to wash before you go in front of people, right? Come on. We're smart. We'll be able to smell you out. Connecting to God is a spiritual practice, is ownership of your faith. And I said, we're going to get into that. And I already went longer than I wanted to. But connecting people to people. Community. Community is necessary for transformation. We're going to talk about it the next week. Connecting people to purpose. Getting you serving and active. As Brian used to say, every joint supplieth. You have a part in this body. And let's get you connected and moving in that. I just got to brag really quick on Lydia and uh, Julie and the rest of the Stonehaven team. They, It's serving coffee but they are serving coffee as a ministry. I've just, the excellence I've seen in them of the thought and the planning, and Lydia's telling me every cup of coffee is this much so we can give it this much and make it this low, and I'm like, Lydia, I don't care, just do it. You're doing an awesome job. And they've just owned it, owned the coffee shop, which just opens up officially next week. Just keep that in your mind. But they're practicing today. So see Lydia and Julie at the end of service and go get some coffee or latte or whatever. Getting people to purpose. And lastly is getting them to hope which is evangelism, there's a hope, there's a hope, there's a hope. Do you know how much of our life, how many people we know are just racked with anxiety, with depression, with just an overall darkness on their life and soul? Well, we have an answer for that. His name is Jesus. It's hope. Your life isn't feeling good. You're not feeling satisfied. You're feeling like everything you're doing just isn't measuring up. Well, guess what? There's an answer to that, and his name is Jesus. And so this is our mission statement. This is how we're going to get the mission done. Bring them in, raise them up, send them out by connecting people to God, to others, to purpose, and to hope. And I really, I just, oh, you know, this is all, this is not really unique to us. You know where the original vision came from? Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commandments I have given you. Pretty much every church's mission, vision statement, they're just derivatives of Jesus' commissioning vision statement to his disciples. Go out and spread the word. Go out, bring them in. Go out and teach them what I've taught you. And the cool thing about our vision and mission statement right now, though, is that it's not just for you guys, it's for your kids. I've already preached these four messages, and you know who I preached them to? I preached them to your kids about two months ago downstairs. And it was like this. We get to spend time with God. People can help our faith grow. We can serve others. We can share God's story. Those four things connecting with God, connecting with people, connecting with service, connecting with hope. These things start at our ground level and they permeate our whole church. So, vision, mission. We're going to get to connecting God now. So, if you turn to your Bible, Mark chapter 4, verse 24. Mark chapter 4, verse 24. Then he added, this is Jesus speaking, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given and you will receive even more. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. Everything in our life, everything in our life wants to distract us from vision and mission. I can't be more simple than what I just said, but there are going to be so many and seasons, and I've experienced it of times where we get off. You know why it hasn't been clearly posted everywhere? is because that there's been distractions that try to say, maybe we should do it this way, or we're more relevant if we do it this way, or maybe this is the thing that God's calling us to. Vision remains. And this, I didn't come up with any of that. That's all been handed down from the start of this church. Satan doesn't, if he can just get your attention, get my attention, get the staff's attention, get the council's attention off of the vision and mission, we've missed it. Which is why it's so important to create the baseline, right? And so vision and mission are sustained when we are led and fed by God. Vision and mission are sustained when we are led and fed by God. Which is why the very first thing, the most important thing that you can be doing is connecting to God. Being responsible for your personal relationship with God. The very best thing you can be doing on a Sunday morning is making sure that you've prayed up. Read your Bible. That this isn't the only place that sustains you spiritually through the week. Guys, this is just family dinner. We all get to hang out, drink coffee, give hugs, talk about sports, talk about Jesus, and then go back out into the normal day, of the normal week, the normal world. This will not sustain you. Your personal relationship with God will sustain you. Why do I feel so good when I go to church and I go back home and it all just goes down? Because this was never meant to sustain you. This was never meant to carry you from one Sunday to the next. If you can't volunteer downstairs because you're like, if I miss church, then I will just not going to make it. You have a wrong emphasis on your spiritual life, where it's coming from. It comes from God. You have to connect to God first. And if you think I'm preaching from a podium, know that I am preaching to myself today. Distractions come in all shapes and sizes. And if you're a parent... You got, like, however many kids you have, that's four, three, five, two distractions right there, okay? They just want to pull all of your attention away. And we're going to get to that in a second. Vision and, vision, vision and mission are sustained when we are led, by, led and fed by God. You know, we've done a lot of work on this. A couple years ago, we went through a series on be with him, become like him, and do what he did. And that whole idea was that we were becoming like Jesus in a focus on spiritual practices. And so if you want a real in-depth series on just that point, go back and listen to that. And, but today, just the highlight version is that Jesus came and said, There's a way, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There is one way to so sustaining life giving joy, and that's Jesus. And when he says, I'm the way, it kind of gives us this thought that there's also a way not to do things. There's a certain way we can love our lives and a certain way we shouldn't. And the thing that I see with Jesus is that the more popularity he had, the more fame he started to get, the more his name went out, and the more he started drawing crowds, the more, the more, the more that Jesus emphasized getting away from all of that, disconnecting, going to the Eremos, er, uh, the wilderness, the quiet place, even from the people he loved, his disciples, his core group. Time and time again, we see Jesus disconnect from public ministry. And go away. Early in the morning, late at night, weekend retreat. We see Jesus, get away. And this all points to this idea of just abiding and remaining in Jesus. So if you would turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 4. He says, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. You cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is just thrown away like a useless branch and it withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you will ask for anything you want. And it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved you. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. I've preached this verse, this passage before. This whole idea of connecting to God is that you must remain in his presence. It's here. God is not like some far off, distant. He's right here. It's the reason that Jesus left is so they could send the Holy Spirit so that you have God right here, personal, in your heart, in your life, very close, very tangible. But it's so easy to take our eye off of God and put it on X, Y, Z. It's so easy to take our eye off of God and put it on the present situation or the present worries or the present distractions. And Jesus just goes on and on here about remaining in me. I don't know. I counted it up at one point, but I think it's like some 10 or 11 times that you hear this sentence, this phrase of remain, 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 until we just get it in our heads. And hopefully you go to bed tonight thinking remain, remain, remain. It's just wandering in your head. Remain in God, and he'll remain in you. And so I love this, just really quickly, just a few things come out of this chapter, is that as we remain in God, he remains in us. As we remain in Jesus, we find his love. And as we remain in Jesus, our joy starts to overflow. Life, sustaining life, comes from the presence of God. I think uh, theologian Dallas Willard, he sums it up really well. He says it this way. The first and most basic thing we can and must do is to keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him. Soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. I told you just a bit ago that I've been preaching this same message to myself. It's so easy to just get distracted. It's so easy for my mind to wander, my attention to wander, to focus on the things that are squeaky, the things that are really loud, the things that seem really present instead of things that really matter. And the trick is to practice the presence of God. And there's lots of ways you can do that. I'll have a little list for you a little bit later. But basically, this connecting to God is the emphasis on spiritual practices in your life. And it's not just one way. It's not just pray this Lord's Prayer and then this three-point, you know, Thanksgiving and asking for something and then praising for what he's going to do, reading one chapter in your Bible a day, and then you're set, go to church. There's so many ways to connect with God. There's so many differences. There's so many ways. Just as many ways as you can find to connect to your spouse or to a good friend to communicate with them, there are more ways to connect with God. Hebrews 2.1 says we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard or we may drift away from it. A few weeks ago when we talked about sanctification, I said it's very, very unlikely that we will drift into who God's calling us to be. It takes intentional, meaningful work to become the person that God's calling us to be. But I believe we can do it. And the key phrase here that I want to emphasize to you is that these are spiritual practices And next week, we're going to jump into spiritual formation and what that looks like. But spiritual practices means that practicing it. And sometimes it feels like, man, I'm going to read my Bible in a year. Or, man, I'm going to read through you set the day, whatever goal we have. And then one day goes by. And then one day turns into 15 days and 20 days. And all of a sudden, you realize that by this time, you're hoping to finish X amount of the Bible. You've only read 10 chapters. Practice means that you are going to not make it. Practice means that you set a goal and you're not going to get there. Practice means is that you're trying and building over time to be better than where you started. When I started practicing guitar, I think I was playing Green Day when I started. I don't know if that matters to anybody, but I started just trying to play G, D, E minor, C. And I just, uh, the timing was bad, and it was just, I was just really frustrated, and my my buddy had to come over and show me where to put my fingers on the guitar, and I still can't play it like amazing, I'd never be on stage, but I can now rough my way through G, D, E, minor, C. But it didn't come day one of practicing the guitar. It came over hours and hours and hours of taking my guitar to youth camp in this youth group into my friend's houses into the whatever and just practicing and playing guitar just like that you know fasting is really difficult for me I really like to eat food I don't know if you can tell I really really like eating food and fasting is abstaining from food I set a goal earlier this year when we went through the awakening series of certain amount of times of fasting, and I really didn't make it. But I'm okay with that because I'm practicing to be who God wants me to be. I'm practicing spending time with God, practicing fasting, practicing prayer, practicing reading my Bible. I'm hoping that next year I'll be a lot better than I was last year because I've been practicing. Hmm. And really, this can just be summed up with being with Jesus. It's not super complicated. And here's the list. Here's a bunch of different things. This isn't even all of them, but the ones that we usually think about when we go to connect, to remain in God, to be with him. We think about prayer, Sabbath, or resting, soul rest, fasting, scripture reading, worship, silence and solitude, living an unhurried and present lifestyle. That's really the core ones. That's really the core spiritual practices. But it really just comes down to a focus of practicing and being in God's presence. And I love, I've shared this before, but Brother Lawrence. He was a, Brother Lawrence was a 15th century uh, Parisian monk who was formerly a soldier. And he got converted and he gave his life to Jesus and he decided to become a monk. And so he went to the monastery, but his life was a soldier. And so he was uneducated and so they gave him the job of potato peeler. And so Brother Lawrence spent his days in the monastery in the kitchen, peeling and making potatoes and making duck or rabbit stew or leaven bread. I don't know what monks eat. Whatever they eat in there, that's what Brother Lawrence was making. And over time, Brother Lawrence would write these correspondence, these letters. He never wrote a book, but he wrote a bunch of letters and to friends and to people away and other monasteries and people because they started noticing this thing about Brother Lawrence is that wherever he was, he had this unhurried sense about him that whatever his work was about whether it was peeling potatoes or serving dinner or washing dishes he had this sense of that he was in the presence of God and here's a little clip years later after he died they took all of his letters put in a real small book it could even just be a pamphlet called practicing the presence of God and this, is this quote It says it was observed that in the greatest hurry of the bit it was observed in the greatest hurry of busyness in the kitchen he still preserved his recollection and heavy heavenly mindedness he was never hasty nor loitering but did each thing in its season with an even uninterrupted composure and tranquility of spirit the time of business said he does not with me differ from the time of prayer In the noise and the clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were upon my knees at the blessed sacrament. This goes back to what we preached a few weeks ago on interruption, seeing interruption as a divine appointment. It's really hard to be spiritual practice spiritual disciplines. When your kids go to bed and you fight them to go to bed at 11 o'clock and then they wake up at 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock. It's really hard when you're in a season of just hurry and busyness and you're just stretched out. I talked to somebody this morning that had to work 50, 60 hours last week and that's not an uncommon story for us. It's really difficult. And what I love about this idea of breaking it down, even breaking away from the list that I read you of spiritual practices before, is that first and foremost, it's get into the presence of God and stay there. Practicing the presence of God, because He's not away from you. It's not like you put God away and then go to and then go to church and pull him out of the box and then he's there, but then he goes back into the box when you go back to your work or your family dinner or whatever. God is with you everywhere. His Holy Spirit is with you everywhere. And so this idea of practicing the presence of God is literally turning your mind, turning your attention to God in the busyness. Seeing interruptions as opportunities for prayer. Seeing interruptions as opportunity to love. Seeing interruptions as opportunities to be in God's presence. And that's really difficult. But that's where life comes from. If you would turn back with me to Joshua chapter 1. We're going to skip down to verse 7. This is God again. He's saying, Be strong, courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either left or right. Then you'll be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night, so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Going back to the original text, Moses is dead. Moses is gone. The original vision, though, is still there. Go into the promised land. And you know where this is happening? This is happening on the brink of going back into the promised land. Moses had led them up to the promised land before, and then Israel got distracted. Oh my gosh, the people are huge. They're like giants. Even the grapes takes two of our people to lift them. No way, we can't go in there. And so God sent them on a walkabout for another 40 years. And so they left. God, they have been to the line of the promised land before, and God sent them away because they got distracted. But God's patient to see his vision fulfilled. And so 40 years later, Moses has passed. That generation has passed. And the kids that they thought they were fearful for of dying are actually the ones that now have the opportunity to walk into the vision, to walk into the promised land. And so he gives them this opportunity. He's saying, Moses is gone. The vision remains, though. Be strong and courageous. I am with you. And why is he with him? Where is that confidence coming from? Meditate on this book. Think about it day and night. I am with you. Be strong and courageous, Joshua. Lead the people. Go into the land. I've given it to you. Where does the confidence of God in this situation come from? By meditating on this book. By being with God. By directing his thoughts continually to God over and over and over again. I like this idea because its strength is not just physical strength. He's saying be strong as in be grounded, be anchored in God, be confident in what's going to happen. is this idea of boldness and strength of character. It's synonymous with be of good cheer. And so when he's telling Joshua be strong and courageous, he also says don't be scared or discouraged. Why? Because my confidence is in God. And why? Because my confidence comes when I spend time with God. When I pray, when I worship, when I fast, when I rest, I know that God's with me. And so Moses is gone, Joshua's there, and God reveals and he gives the same promise, same vision, same uh, promise of being with and carrying through as he gave to Moses. But be in my word. Meditate day and night. The best and first thing that we must do, Church in the Rock, is own that relationship with God. And we can start bringing the lights down. And Church, if you just want to stand up, we're going to have a moment of prayer here in just a little bit. The worship team is going to lead us back into worship. But every single week, you're going to have the opportunity. These altars don't shut down. And so altar team, you can even come forward right now. And so maybe you're just feeling a little discouraged today. I hope not. I hope this message wasn't one of con- condemnation. There's no condemnation here, church. It's practice, go back to that part. It's practice, it's not failure, it's practice. We're practicing becoming the people of God. But my hope is that we can walk out and that we can say boldly that we are a people in Humley, Illinois that are people of the presence of God. And that doesn't happen on stage, that happens in our hearts at home, mine included. And so we're going to, the team's going to lead us here in a worship in just a second. And the altar team's up here for anything. If you need prayer today, maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you're like, no, I've really been practicing. I just, I just messed this up. I did not get it. Come and pray. Maybe you have something going on in your life that you just, this unrelated to everything we just said, the altar team is open. But if that's not you, can we just turn our hearts back to God for a second and just worship him?
1: What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is. And nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name. Think I'm past this. What a beautiful name.
0: Church, this is what I want you to close with in this thought in your head today. Time and time again, since we've started this transition process, this has been the thing, is that our church is not going on pause. The church is not going on pause. When Joshua walked in with the Israelites, they didn't go, they were at the foothill. They were at the beginning, at the finish line, about to go into battle, which is why God was saying, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. There's a lot of change right now. There's a lot of different people around. There's a lot of stuff going on. Is it What's going on? We're not on pause. Be strong and courageous. Let me read to you Psalms verse one. There's just a few verses. It says, Oh, the joys joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join with the mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They're like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit in each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. Church, did you know that the reason that a tree loses its leaves is when harsh seasons come, they give up. They lose the weak things so that they can preserve energy. But if you're sustained on the riverbank, if you're next to the stream, if you're close to God, you will not run out of strength. You will not be, you will be sustained. You will have enough to go to the next season and you'll bear fruit in harsh condition, good condition. You'll bear fruit when it's hard and when it's easy. You'll bear fruit in change. This church will bear fruit in change. I'm believing that in the transition period, our church will grow. That we're going to bring people in. That they're going to get healed and then we'll send them back out. And that's you. That's not me. This is the church. We will see that happen. I'm excited. I'm excited. Church, this is the last thing, and then we're going to get to announcements and tithe. But did you know what our church, what our verse established this church? It's Matthew 16, 18. It says, upon this rock, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. It's not going to be easy. But hell's not going to conquer us be strong and courageous let me pray over you and then we'll move to tithe and offering father thank you god for your people father right now god i just pray god that the weak heart god god i pray for the person out there right now that's feeling discouraged and broken and down god they would start hearing your call in their life right now God, I pray specifically the person that everything we just talked about, right, went, went over their head, Father, and they said, I can't hear from God. I've never heard from God. I've never seen this sign. Thank you, God, that you appear to us in the normal days, one day. But will you go and discover him? Father, I pray right now that you would just open our quiet times, God, that you would help us to go to our phones and see our settings and where we're spending our time and where can we carve out time, God, to spend with you. God, I pray in the everyday, normal life, God, that we discover that vision, that sustenance, God, your presence in our life. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen, amen.